on this edition of the Iowa Business Report. But there's glimmers of hope out there, and that's very encouraging to see. Another survey suggests Iowa's economic outlook is bright going into the fourth quarter. One school with a unique practical education program has expanded despite the pandemic. And we'll tell you about a company that focused on its core values as it looked for generational succession. This is the Iowa Business Report for the second weekend of October 2020. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry. The Iowa Association of Business and Industry has been the voice of Iowa business since 1903. Learn more online at iowaabi.org. Here is Jeff Stein. At the start of each quarter, the Iowa Business Council conducts a survey of its 22 members, the chief decision makers of major Iowa employers, about the outlook for the next three and six months. And they are quite optimistic, with an overall economic outlook index jumping 17 and a half points from just three months ago. Joe Murphy is executive director of the Iowa Business Council. We're very enthused by the level of optimism of our members. Again, the 22 largest companies in the state of Iowa. Our members really report a sense of optimism and, and, and positive uh, outlook. We increased uh, 17 and a half points compared to the second quarter of 2020. Our net score now stands at 58.71. And for your listeners' benefit, anything above 50 represents positive sentiment. And so this is the first time that we're above 50 in 2020. The last time that we were in uh, the above 50 in that positive terrain was the last quarter of 2019. And obviously, over the last uh, seven months or so, uh, we've been dealing with the pandemic and, and the economic consequences as a result of that. And we're not out of the woods on that. I don't want to. I don't want to discount that. But the fact is that our businesses in Iowa are adapting. We're becoming more able to to get through this situation. And our members are very clear that uh, they view the next six months not only as critical, but they view the next six months with a positive eye. And, and we think that that's great. There's a lot of optimism out there. Again, not out of the woods on the economic situation or the pandemic, but there's uh, there's glimmers of hope out there, and that's very encouraging to see. And again, the trend is going upward, and so that's always a good thing. And interesting because of when you do your surveys, the first quarter survey would have been taken at the end of March, just as we shut everything down and had no idea what to expect. And so it really does show the optimism because you've got the track record of having bottomed out early on. And, and this is a very up to the minute assessment of how people feel. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, you mentioned the, the, our first quarter uh, numbers and data, and as you as you accurately pointed out, I mean that was really that was really the bottoming out for us uh, from from our level of optimism, and and effectively, you know, our score was the worst in the first quarter of this year was the worst that we've had since two thousand and nine. And that was only reflective of, you know, two really bad weeks in March, as you would call back back then. It was it was really the last two or three weeks in March where everything hit Iowa. Um, and so as we've progressed through this through this new reality that we all find ourselves in, I think what you're seeing is Iowa businesses, whether they're big businesses like ours or medium or, or, or small sized businesses are adapting. We're resilient. Um, our companies are getting through this. And we're innovating, you know, we're, we're not out of the woods on this, but, but we're understanding that this is the new reality and we have to, we have to plan for that. And so I think the fact that we've been in it for a while, 
think the fact that we've shown that we can produce products and, and serve customers and clients is, is helping us through this right now. And I think that not only will we be able to reach economic heights that we were at, you know, the first part of 2020 in January and February, but I really am optimistic over the long-term health of Iowa's economy, really getting to new heights for Iowa's economy and creating those, those prosperity opportunities for all Iowans, not just the biggest businesses, but, but for all Iowans in our state, which I think is really exciting. Joe Murphy is the executive director of the Iowa Business Council. The third quarter Iowa Business Council report shows the overall economic outlook index increasing by more than 17 points to nearly 59, and again 50 is the neutral zone on this. And there are some numbers within the numbers, as it were, and to speak to that point of optimism, you've got half of your survey thinking that sales will be higher in the next six months. Now, one might say, well, sure, because they were bottoming out in the last six months, how could they be any any worse? But still, the sense is that the sales and the revenue projections are quite positive leading us through the winter. And and of course, we would rather have great news like that than, you know, a sort of a slow and steady sort of uh, return to normal, if you will. So yeah, you're right. And, you know, compared to the last six months, you couldn't get much worse. But the fact that the that the numbers indicate, again, optimism, and, and again, more than half of our members projecting um, increased in sales is a good thing, is a very good thing. And so we're excited about the future. I think that there's a lot of opportunity. And I think the fact that our, our companies are indicating increase in sales and, and almost half of our companies increasing capital spending is indicative too of, of medium and, and small size businesses as well. Because again, as the Iowa Business Council represents some of Iowa's largest companies, remember, you know, our, our, our big companies in Iowa serve all Iowans, whether they're our companies, uh, customers, clients, business partners, you know, it's one giant ecosystem in the state of Iowa here. If I could give one takeaway, it would be just the sense of resiliency that Iowans have shown during this pandemic and in, in this economic situation. You know, we've come back from really tragic and difficult events in the past. And once again, Iowa is on the road to come back in prosperity in the in the light in the face of, of devastating uh, situations. Because there is the optimism for sales, and then that's been the big issue for any business of any size during the COVID pandemic. Will we have enough revenue to help us maintain operations? And so your survey of members indicates a majority think sales will increase. And then when you add in the no change category, again, that's more than three quarters think that it's either going to be the same or increase. They also expect employment to either stay the same or increase. When you've got more than 40% saying they expect to increase the level of employment and what, fewer than 20%, looks like about 17, think that they're going to have to trim staff. Again, that's a very helpful sign, not just for those companies, but for every employee and the myriad of ways they spend their dollars. That's absolutely right. And I think, you know, of the, of the companies that, um, that, that have experienced layoffs, uh, that have experienced furloughs, more than two thirds of them are expecting to rehire those workers within the next three to six months. So that's, that's another very positive indication, I think, of the, of the resiliency of, of our companies and the and the the hope and and uh, thinking and, and long term thinking of our companies to to hire back quickly as, as quickly as they can not only 
to ramp up production, but but to get Iowans back to work, I think that's the the critical point that we're all trying to 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 achieve here. You know, Iowa has uh, traditionally a very low unemployment rate and a very high labor participation rate, which is which is a great thing, and that continues through the pandemic and through the the economic situation that we're in. While our unemployment rate is is quite high considering you know Iowa standards, we're still within the top five lowest unemployment um, states in the country. But I mentioned that just to say I was weathering this much better than the vast majority of states and certainly the vast majority of states in the Midwest. And so we're we're excited about the future here. Very excited about where new policies and procedures could be could be enhanced to, again, uh, help out uh, and increase that that economic vitality throughout the entire state. How is it that do you think that we have been able to do so well compared to all of our neighbors and, and states across the country? What is it that is unique about the Iowa situation that allows us to still have such a low unemployment rate? I think the fact that we have such a rich history in innovation with our agricultural sector, and then you spin that into ag tech capabilities, and then you think about the financial services that we have, particularly in the Des Moines and Cedar Rapids area, And the fact that we're able to kind of spread out the economic progress, I think, has really helped us. Joe Murphy of the Iowa Business Council. We connected via Zoom this past Wednesday, October 7th. You can view the full report by going to iowabusinesscouncil.org. Still to come, additional career options and knowing who you are before determining where you're going. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Earlier this year on this program, we told you about the Waterloo Career Center, a unique program within the Waterloo Community Schools designed to give students real-world practical education along with college credit. Now, while many districts have struggled with their return-to-learn plans this year, Waterloo students have met in person and on the original schedule. And for those in the Waterloo Career Center, despite the COVID-related disruptions to education this year, there are now even more new options for study. Tara Thomas is a spokesperson for the district. Our Career Center added four new programs this fall. Students have been able to attend in person because the class sizes are small enough that they can safely distance and follow health and safety guidelines. K-12 teacher preparation, emergency management, biomedical lab technician, and physical therapy. So we're up to 18 career programs out at the Career Center housed in Central Middle School. Look at those four. Those are all just fundamental to a resurgent economy and developing careers for young people. Absolutely, and that's key. We align our pathways through the business community connections to determine what our realistic workforce needs locally. So projecting Cedar Valley needs in the coming years makes sense to then offer programs that would funnel those potential workers directly to the employers because we want them to train in a career that can actually result in a paycheck down the road. So the great thing about our career center is not only do the business partners help us sort of align, you know, the program offerings, but almost every single course offers college credit. 
$1.25 million have already been saved for families whose students have attended these classes in the Career Center because they're getting college credit now before they graduate high school. The colleges that we partner with have been wonderful to help align all of these course offerings with what they would ultimately pursue when they step into the college classroom. And when you talk about math and science, instead of a traditional math class, I might be out at the Career Center and I'm doing advanced manufacturing and I'm learning the same math concepts, but I'm doing hands-on real-world work that simulates what I would be doing if that were my career. So kids are a lot more excited about solving the math problems when there's a tangible way that they apply it versus sitting in a traditional classroom crunching numbers on a Chromebook or a piece of paper. When you think about simulating real world, we've been so fortunate that through employer donations, through grants, and through money that our district has committed with existing funding, we've been able to simulate a studio. So there's a digital marketing, digital media simulation. They have, a, much like this, a radio studio where you can do a podcast or you can record an interview. They have what simulates a hospital setting with mannequins that are interactive and hospital beds. And so all of these, plus advanced manufacturing, now sustainable construction and design, all of these bays or classrooms have transformed into, when you walk in, a real-life lab. And so how exciting for kids that maybe are over their traditional sit-and-get-back-in-the-classroom. Tara Thomas, spokesperson for the Waterloo Community School District. And she notes that while the district does host the Waterloo Career Center, it's open for students from surrounding districts to attend as well. Coming up, handing off to the next generation. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry, helping develop the next generation of business leaders through Leadership Iowa, Business Horizons, and Leadership Iowa University. To learn more, go to iowaabi.org. In our first program in this series back in January, we brought you a business profile of the Vermeer Corporation of Pella. For that, I had an extended conversation at the company's headquarters with Mary Vermeer Andringa, whose father founded the company in 1948 and who now serves as chair of the board there. What I was struck by during that meeting was the length the company went to in planning its generational succession. Now, we only had time to touch on the subject in our original segment, but it seems in this post-COVID recovery time, Many companies are reevaluating who they are and where they're going. So it seemed appropriate to let Mary Andringa talk at length about how they handled it. Well, we've worked very hard on family governance and making sure that we can keep the company private because we think that is in the best interest of our team members and our dealers and certainly our customers as well. But when I go back, I remember probably the company was about 25 years old. We were, we were offered the opportunity to sell the company to a, a large multinational. And we actually had a family meeting, my dad and my two brothers and myself and our spouses. We were all married at that time. And we talked about, you know, should, should we sell the company? And we decided, no, we, we think we should 
maintain, you know, maintain it as a family business. And it was sort of at that point when my two brothers were both thinking about coming into the company. And I actually wasn't yet at that point. But down the road, I remember talking to my dad, and he was very encouraging that I could be involved in the company as well. We have that history. But as in most entrepreneurial companies, the founder usually doesn't do a very good job of setting out the plan for transitions. So it was actually the second generation, it was my brother Bob and myself, who in the late 90s said, you know, we need to bring in some outside consulting help and really plan ahead for how we get through some of sometimes difficult family transitions and how we plan ahead if we want to really keep this in the family and we want to keep family members involved in, in a variety of ways. And uh, so that was late, I'm like 1989 when we started that process. Then through the next decade, we really worked with a consultant and developed a family constitution, a family charter. We started a, a, a family council, which dealt with kind of the things of a family creed and putting our values down and also some expectations. And one of the expectations was that it was not an entitlement to come into the company. You had to have a desire and you had to have skills. You needed to work somewhere else first. You needed to be promoted and preferably have attained a master's degree before you would come back if you thought you had expectations to be involved in management. And actually my brother Bob and I had both worked in different jobs before coming into the business. We saw value in that and working with family business consultants, they also encouraged that sort of a process. Later on, I found out that one of our first family consultants, Leon Danko, he was one of the early family business consultants. He was out of Ohio. And he had come and consulted with us. And two things that were a big part of his suggestion to any family business is family members, if you're going to come into the business, work for somebody else first, prove yourself, and have independent board members. And we've done both of those things. We've had independent board members since the mid-80s. And again, we started setting up this family employment policy in the, in the mid-90s. And we've adhered to both those things. So I, I think it actually, in our case, had to be the second generation to start doing the planning and setting up the governance systems for family transitions and for good governance in a family business. Of all of that, which is of great interest, what's really fascinating to me is that you sat down and said, what do we as a family believe? Absent the business aspect, who are we as a family? Because if we intend to carry this on as a family business, we have to all agree on these core principles. That, to me, seems rather unique and, and especially important, not only in terms of business, but family unity. Our four P's, which are kind of our core values, actually arose out of a, a number of things. Uh, when I had both brothers and myself in the business in the 80s, we decided we were going to set some goals. And as we started working on goals, we realized that some of the goals really were more like boundaries. They really weren't goals. So, for instance, and they, and they dealt with principles, which had been part of our, our dad's legacy. One was to really value people highly and to promote from within whenever you can. I mean, there, were, there was no limit ever in this company. If someone worked hard and had desire and was willing to try things, 
they could go to whatever position almost they wanted to. Another one was um, no long-term debt. Another one was that you stand behind your product and you're, you're always striving for quality, high quality. And if you miss the mark, you go take care of that and send out care teams. And, and so as we worked on these goals, we realized some of these aren't really goals. This is like who we are. And um, about that same time, I had an employee, and he actually just retired from this company, who came to me and said, Mary, we always kind of knew what your dad was all about, but what about you kids? What, what's important to you kids? And I, as a former teacher, I realized that we needed a simple way for people to know what was important for us. So I kind of took those boundary ideas, and I had just read a book um, that Lee Iacocco had talked about, uh, people and product and profit. And I thought, you know, if we take those P's and add principles, which for us um, are principles which are biblically based, then we've got something to talk about. We've got something pretty easy to remember, four P's, principles, people at the top of those principles, product, and, and putting profit back into the business because of the no long-term debt idea. And so I just sort of started talking about that, and then I started writing articles, and my, my, my brothers agreed that this made sense. And it became, it just became kind of our foundational values, and that's what we put into our family charter that family members signed on to when we when we talk about what are our values and what are our expectations as a shareholder. Mary Vermeer Andringa, chair of the board of Vermeer Corporation in Pella. We spoke when I visited their headquarters in December 2019. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. You'll also find podcasts of full interviews with many of the folks you hear on this program. They're listed as IBR Extras and IBR Business Profiles. And we're also found on all the major podcast distributors, including iHeart, Apple, and Google. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry. Follow ABI on Twitter at IowaABI and online at iowaabi.org.